0: Weight regulation is a complex task with multiple overlapping hormones and neurotransmitters in charge. Can our brains help us with weight loss? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, Director of Foothills Psychiatry in Boise, Idaho, your host, and with me today is Dr. Sandra Amitt. Dr. Amitt is the former editor-in-chief of Nature Neuroscience, one of the leading journals in the field of brain research. Before becoming the editor, she trained at the University of Rochester and at Yale. She recently co-authored, along with Dr. Sam Wang, Welcome to Your Brain. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Amit. Oh,
1: I'm happy to be here.
0: You devote an entire chapter in your book to weight regulation.
1: Why? We were trying very hard when we wrote this book to talk about the things that are relevant to people's everyday lives in terms of how the brain works and I don't know about you, but my everyday life is very often devoted to paying attention to my weight and trying to keep it from getting out of control.
0: Mm -hmm, As most of our patients, for sure. Now, I have to say that your explanation of the various controls of weight regulation is probably the most coherent that I've ever read. And I have to say, I've never really understood it prior to reading your book. Can you walk us through it? Sure.
1: So... First thing to say, I think, is that weight regulation is enormously complicated and getting enough calories and keeping enough energy has been one of the huge challenges of our species for a long, long time. So uh, the deck is a little bit stacked in favor of gaining weight.
0: Well, I love how you title the chapter to bring your swimsuit. (laughs)
1: Uh, So how does it work? So let's start with leptin, which was a big discovery about maybe 10 years or so ago. Everybody thought for about six months that the whole problem was solved. So leptin is a hormone that's produced by fat cells and released into the blood, and it tracks both how much fat is present in the body and how fat levels are changing So when body fat decreases, leptin in the blood falls, and that is the signal to your brain that your body needs more energy, that you're losing weight. And the brain doesn't like that. And so leptin acts in the brain to trigger hunger and weight gain. And then when leptin rises, animals and people reduce their food intake. So everybody thought, that, wow, this is great, so we'll just give people leptin and they won't be hungry and they won't eat and they'll lose weight and all done. But it was not, unfortunately, quite that simple because it turns out that people who are very overweight most commonly already have high levels of leptin in their blood. What's happened instead is that there have been changes in their brain that keep them from responding to the hormone. It's actually very parallel to what happens with insulin in diabetes, in type 2 diabetes.
0: Are there any other strategies using leptin to help people control their weight?
1: Leptin did not turn out to be a good drug, largely because the problem with it is on the receptor end, not on the hormone Mm -hmm. end. Mm -hmm. But there is a drug that has shown some recent promise for weight loss. It's not a miracle drug, but it's pretty consistent that people who take it can lose 10 or 20 pounds without making any other deliberate changes in their lives. And that is based on the old observation that people who smoke marijuana get the munchies. Now, of course, marijuana acts at receptors that are present in the brain not because people were designed around drugs, but because there are endogenous compounds called the endocannabinoids that act at these receptors. And one of the things that they do, it turns out, is to regulate food intake. The interesting thing about it is that it not only makes hungry animals reduce their food intake, it also makes animals that have already been fed reduce their food intake. And so, scientists thought that eating when you're not hungry is, to some extent, perhaps the defining characteristic of how people get to be obese in the first place. Mm-hmm. So this drug, which is called rimonabant, acts at that receptor, the receptor for the active ingredient in marijuana, which is THC, and it blocks that receptor, reducing food intake It's been approved for use in Europe, but in the U.S., the FDA not too long ago declined to approve it. Why? I think they just weren't impressed with the magnitude of the weight loss. They didn't think that that 10 or 20 pounds was really going to be helpful to people who were seriously obese.
0: Yeah, my understanding is as well that the FDA had concerns about psychiatric side effects. So it'll be interesting. It's already out in Europe.
1: Yeah, it's been in use in Europe for several years now.
0: Yeah, so many of us were looking forward to it for all sorts of uses other than weight loss, thinking about treating marijuana addicts and um, even smokers, nicotine addiction. Mm-hmm. But
1: it's been used for a number of different types of addiction as
0: well. Looks like we'll have to wait. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Sandra Amet, the co-author of Welcome to Your Brain. We are discussing the complex regulation of weight. Now, Dr. Amet, how does insulin fit in?
1: Insulin is another hormonal signal that tells your body how much energy is available, and it's produced in the pancreas after meals and released into the blood its purpose is to tell the various cells that need to pick up glucose from the blood and store the energy that it's available now. But this is another system that gets dysregulated in obesity. So thin animals have lower levels of circulating insulin than fat animals. And while leptin is a good measure of subcutaneous fat, Insulin is much more strongly related to visceral fat, which, as I'm sure you know, is a significant risk factor for diabetes, hypertension, cardiovascular disease, and several cancers. Insulin may actually be more directly related to the types of diseases of obesity that people get.
0: I love your analogy about using retirement money to pay for gas. Explain that for us.
1: Yeah, so the brain is resistant to the idea of dieting, in part because it doesn't like to take fat out of storage to meet your everyday energy needs. It wants that fat for emergencies. And as far as the brain is concerned, taking out your fat and cashing it for your regular everyday life is just like dipping into your retirement account to buy gas for your car.
0: Now, there are two other important players, melanocortin and neuropeptide Y. What do they do?
1: So these are the receptor location for insulin and leptin and these other hormones that are released. And in a part of the hypothalamus called the arcuate nucleus, there are these two sets of neurons that use two different neurotransmitters, melanocortin and neuropeptide Y, and act in opposition to each other in terms of regulating food intake and energy expenditure. So the melanocortin neurons decrease available energy, so they reduce food intake and increase energy expenditure, while the neuropeptide Y neurons increase available energy by promoting food intake and reducing energy expenditure. These are the two main control systems for weight and leptin activates melanocortin neurons and inhibits neuropeptide Y neurons. The problem is that the neuropeptide Y, which I'll remind you are the pro-feeding neurons, also strongly inhibit the melanocortin or anti-feeding neurons. The reverse, on the other hand, is not true. So this is one of the key physiological reasons that this brain circuit is biased toward promoting weight gain, because the weight gain neurons can inhibit the weight loss neurons, but not vice versa. Uh, uh.
0: Now, can we use all this science to trick our brains into helping us lose weight?
1: You certainly have to take your brain into account when you're thinking about how to lose weight and keep it off. And the most important thing, sorry to say, that you have to take into account is that your brain is always going to be working toward keeping your weight at a certain set point that it thinks is the right idea. So you can't really diet and expect that to have long-term effects. You really have to make a lifestyle change that you can stick to forever. For most of us, that means including some reasonable amount of exercise along with sensible eating, Exercise is the one I struggle with the most. The thing that exercise helps with is that it will keep your metabolic rate up, even as you're eating a little bit less than your body wants. And there have been studies that show that people can burn incredibly low amounts of energy when they're in a starvation mode. And these aren't studies of dieters, but studies of people in developing countries who actually are starving. Your brain can do that, too. Right.
0: Now, you also mentioned in the book, just the timing of meals might have an impact.
1: Yeah, this is some of the good news, that in controlled studies where they brought people into the lab and actually gave them the food. So I'm sure you know that one of the big problems with studies of how diet affects weight is that people don't know how much they eat or don't report it accurately, but this study showed that if you eat more in the morning, your metabolism stays up more during the day, and so eating breakfast turned out to be good for about another two or 300 calories a day, even with the same amount of exercise and the other meals remaining the same. So you can basically get breakfast for free, which I like. There, there are so few free lunches in this business. <laughs>
0: that's right. And uh, breakfast happens to be my favorite meal, so uh, I'm all over that. And and so many people, obviously, that are trying to lose weight skip breakfast. and this yeah, That's you know, clearly wrong. Misinformed attempt to limit calories.
1: We should all be skipping dinner, but good luck selling that one.
0: <laughs> that's right. Well, thank you so much for being on our show today. Well, I've enjoyed it. We've been talking with Dr. Sandra Amitt, the co-author of Welcome to Your Brain, Why You Lose Your Car Keys But Never Forget How to Drive, and Other Puzzles of Everyday Life. Today, we've been discussing the neurobiology of weight regulation. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Lunt, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and your comments, so come visit us at ReachMD.com. We have podcast and on-demand features that allow you to access our entire program library straight from your computer. Thank you for listening. This ReachMD program is featured on CIRMO, a free online community exclusively for physicians. To discuss this program with your colleagues, visit www.sermo.com. That's s-e-r-m-o.com. When you join, enter ReachMD in the promotion box to receive a $15 Amazon gift card.